Hey friends, Heather here, and we have an exciting opportunity for you to join us as we continue this podcast and continue shifting the Down syndrome narrative. We have started a Patreon page, and this is a way for our listeners to support us financially every month so that we can keep the podcast going. We have three different tiers between $10 and $100, so wherever you feel you can give monthly to help us support the podcast and to continue to shout the worth of people with Down syndrome as we shift the Down syndrome narrative, you can head over to the Lucky Few podcast.com sign up for our patreon page and start giving today thank you so much hey friends welcome to another episode of the lucky few podcast where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with down syndrome this is micah mercedes and heather and today we are joined by Teresa Unterstall, an author and fellow lucky mama raising a son with a dual diagnosis. Thank you for joining us, friends. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. Well, hi, everybody. Hi. Hi, Micah. Hi, Merce. Hi, guys. Hi, girls. <laughs> How fun to be with you today. I know. Yes. As per usual, always fun. Always fun. Um, we, I mean, really excited because we have a guest on today to continue our conversation about dual diagnosis, which we had an episode where I shared my story a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And um, we're going to go deeper today, which I'm super excited about. Um, our guest has a 26-year-old son who has um, been diagnosed with both Down syndrome and autism. And she's a speaker, writer, advocate, and consultant. And she has a new book coming out. So we're going to have a lot of fun chatting with her. Um, but first, I wanted to talk to you guys about that episode. and. Um, and yeah, if you heard any reactions or if you've had any thoughts since then when we talked about the dual diagnosis. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll start. I want to say I'm so excited for this. I'm, we've talked about this before, but every time we have a conversation with someone who has an adult child with Down syndrome, it's like, yes, tell me all Best. the things. Like the unicorn, <laughs> please. Tell me, give me all your everything, you know, like the totally. wisdom and I love you and I'm thankful. And so I'm super excited for this conversation. and. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't gotten personal, people haven't con commented personally to me about that episode, but I do know, um, we do these retreats. I do a retreat with a woman called Liz Plakta who does Ruby's rainbow and it's for moms who have kids with down syndrome. And there's usually about 26 moms. And every time there's either one or two moms who have a kid with down syndrome and, and autism with a dual diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is so interesting every time how they communicate a sense of feeling alienated in the down syndrome community. And so we talked about that a little bit in the episode, Micah, but I'm, I'm yeah. grateful to get to use this platform to talk about it more, you know, like we're going to dedicate, this will be our third episode to the topic. And I hope that we can talk about it as much as it needs to be talked about, which is as much as a diagnosis. That's not a dual diagnosis, you know? So mm -hmm. that's right. 18% of the time. 
18. Oh my gosh. So let's get out. Out of how many episodes? Let's, let's bring up our percentage, guys. Uh, keep it fair. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Did you get any feedback, Micah? Did you hear from people? Yeah, I did. I had, I got some, um, some letters from some mamas who just wanted to tell me they were in it with me. Um, some who have been in the journey longer, who were, uh, were connecting to my vulnerability and also mm -hmm. sort of encouraging me. Um, I also got some notes from moms who were like the way you described ACE felt like my mm -hmm. child. And I have been wondering if I need to pursue an autism diagnosis and I think I'm going to try or, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was encouraging for me to, uh, to just hear that the story mattered to people, you know, that, mm. that maybe, um, people just needed to hear that their child was not alone in the way that they were developing mm -hmm. or that, you know, I think that you, can sit for a while going, should I pursue this? Should I not? Should I ask my doctor? Should I not? Right. And um, so hopefully it brought some encouragement in that way. Um, and yeah, it's, it's always so good to hear from um, parents who are a little further down the line too, who can encourage me and, and say, you know, I'm doing the right thing or I, I'm, I'm not alone mm -hmm. in it. So it was really it was that episode meant a lot to me and uh yeah i'm really grateful that i got to share my story and be listened to <laughs> so i'm yeah. grateful that you shared and that you were vulnerable with us thanks y'all thanks well let's go ahead and bring in teresa and herself um she just released a new book about the dual diagnosis. And I'm so excited to talk to her about that and just talk about her story. Her new book is called A New Course, A Mother's Journey, Navigating Down Syndrome and Autism. And it came out earlier this month. So let's welcome her to the show. Teresa, thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love what you guys are doing and, and getting the conversation going and glad to be a part of it. Maybe be your crystal ball a little bit. <laughs> Tell us our future. <laughs> We're so excited to have you, Teresa. Um, before we get started, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Um, I have uh, two boys, and uh, they are 27 and 26. Um, Hank is my oldest, and he's neurotypical, and Nick is um, 26. They're about 19 months apart. And uh, Nick has a dual diagnosis of, of Down syndrome and autism. He also has a verbal apraxia. So his speech component is probably less than most, I would say. Uh, we live in Chicago. Uh, my husband, Al, is uh, upstairs watching Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying this little escape here. <laughs> and uh, happy to be here with you guys. I'm so thankful you're here. Um, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to get real get into it real quick here. So you have 26 years of experience with this dual diagnosis. You can tell us, I would love to know a little bit about when you got the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you a lot of questions here in <laughs> one question. Okay. And then we'll, we can take it 
um, apart if we need to. But so I want to know the story of when you got the diagnosis. And then I want to talk about how you've seen things change in 26 years. Because I know for us, those of us who are raising kids who are younger and have had social media and Facebook and Instagram and online and podcasts, and there's so much information that we can mm-hmm. get if we have an inkling of an idea that our kid needs something for better or worse, you know, the information, mm-hmm. but we have this community and 26 years ago, none of that existed. So talk to us about when you got the diagnosis sure. for autism. So when we were yeah, actually, we lived in the Bay area and Woo. he, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, I took him in because, um, you know, I would go to the Down syndrome connection and started noticing that some, you know, just a few little things. And so went and had him evaluated. And at the time he uh, did not fit the spectrum. And, but let me say, a few years later, I was like, ah, this is, <laughs> this is a lot more than Down syndrome. So we had to, we decided to go back when he was, I believe 11 and do a retest, reevaluation here. And we had moved to Chicago. And in doing so, the testing method was so much more sophisticated and in just a matter of, what, six, seven years. Um, it, there was a whole team that went on board. In my heart, I knew he, he probably had it. I think most people kind of know. I mean, there's a certain thing. There's some STEM behaviors. There's a lack of verbal speech and just... Um, it, and I will back up and say, when we were in California, they said, well, he doesn't fit the spectrum because he, he's highly social. He makes really good eye contact. And I think for a lot of um, families that I've worked with that are questioning that, they, they, they felt the same thing. So that shouldn't be a deterrent into not seeking evaluation if you kind of have a sense that there might be something more. Um, do, you, do you feel like... It, is it just those behaviors that listeners should look for? Is it like the the stim behaviors, the the slowness of speech? Is it just those things? Are there other things that they should be looking for? I, I think, you know, when you look at speech, sometimes people will say it's nonverbal. And, you know, I can't say that Nick is t- totally nonverbal. He has lots of words. It's just that if you were to ask him a question, could he respond back in a sentence and so in a sense yeah that is you know I would say for him he is somewhat nonverbal in a in, in able to have that reciprocal um, conversation back and forth mm-hmm. um, and there's you know there's a there's a lot of gray areas there's you've got some speech issues but you've got some sensory issues uh, the behavior component as well I mean I think those when I whenever I talk to families and do my consulting that's the big three speech, behavior, and um, the sensory component. And if you can tackle those together with a, your team, your IEP team, you can really make a difference. So how have, how have you seen advocacy change over time from 26 years ago oh, gosh. to today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, so back how many years ago when I, you know, I was like going, I would go to these Down syndrome uh, events and you know, I think one I remember was like a, a, a Christmas party and everybody's getting on Santa's lap and telling what they want and Nick's over there I don't know probably flapping his hand <laughs> yeah just not engaged at all and and so what I found I was like I just found like I, I just started stop going to the events because I didn't feel like I fit in and um, really sort of isolated 
out of those, you know, whatever was going on because it, it kind of made me sad. And then fortunately here in Chicago, um, our group, our NAS group, we have, uh, once I got the evaluation for, um, the, you know, secondary diagnosis, they have a group, a, a separate group um, just for dual diagnosis family, families. So they, they offer these retreats. And so we went to this retreat and I, I, my jaw dropped. I'm like, everybody had a story about haircuts. <laughs> everybody had a story <laughs> yes. about meltdowns. Everybody had a story where they, their kid ran away and you couldn't find them. Mm. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is my, these are my people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that made a difference. Um, a lot, I will say that a lot of Down syndrome support groups across the country don't have that support. Mm. And um, I really want to advocate and make, make it a call of action that, you know, we're, we're talking about 18% of um, individuals with Down syndrome have that dual diagnosis of autism and, and um, those families feel alone, they feel isolated. And, mm. you know, fortunately now with uh, like Facebook groups, there's a lot of dual diagnosis groups there and people are connecting and helping each other and, you know, sharing ideas and answers and sharing their struggles and, and uh, so I don't think now parents feel as, as alone with, you know, with having, having those social media outlets. Mm-hmm. It does feel like I, I am thinking of, I took ACE to a, a music therapy time that, that our local Down Syndrome Connections had. And it, it's really hard to see you know, for ACE to be, you know, at that point four and for there to be two-year-olds with Down syndrome next to him who are engaging in the music time and, you know, tapping the sticks together and um, trying to sing along. And I, I think that in those, those moments of like being with other children younger than him with Down syndrome and seeing the difference in development, it, that's a really isolating feeling. And mm. um, so I can, like I can totally understand and imagine that for you, Teresa, that would have been so difficult for there to not really be much acknowledgement, for there to not be support groups that are um, dual diagnosis support groups. Because if all you see is other kids with Down syndrome without a dual diagnosis, it really is, it's a different kind of thing. And you can feel, it can make, I mean, it makes me feel sad. Um, if I am not going into that space with like my, you know, like my deep breaths already taken and like my head in the right place and my reminders of like my worth and my child's worth and, you know, all of those things that I need to kind of go into it with of like development does not define who my son is or that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. You know, I, I remember um, because my boys are 19 months apart, I didn't really have time when Nick was born to, you know, grieve the loss of the neurotypical child, if you will. I was so busy, you know, changing diapers and whatnot. Yeah. So when I got this secondary diagnosis when Nick was 11, it it hit me hard. I mean, I, 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 I grieved, I had to grieve another loss that he wasn't going to be that child. I thought yeah. that was, you know, would have Down syndrome. Maybe he would date, maybe he would, have a, you know, have a job. 
uh, go maybe take some college classes after you finish school. And so that, you know, I probably spent a, a good month just sort of <laughs> going through the motions. And then, and then I just, when the IEP meeting came, I rolled up my sleeves. I went in there and I'm like, we got some problems here. We need to, this is more than Down syndrome. And you guys are in over your head because Nick was at that time, uh, 11 years old, you know, all the developmental milestones they have, they take longer, right? Well, you get to puberty for some reason, I, that one was early. <laughs> so, and everything that happens, you know, hormonal wise and whatnot, um, he, he was just getting frustrated. And so mm -hmm. I had to go in there and just put my, 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 my fist down and go, we need some more help here. And so that was the point where we, you know, got the autism specialist on board mm -hmm. and she did a, uh, an observation of the classroom. And, um, she was like, Whoa, we, you know, he's, he, he's not able to communicate. That's why he's frustrated. And so that's why I keep bringing in the behavior piece and the speech component, however you want to do it. And I could go on about that forever, but once we figured that out, he wasn't so frustrated and the meltdowns and the outbursts that he had, uh, and, and they're real and, you know, <laughs> and so, so I guess my mission now is to just help families like Micah, like you're, you know, while you're young, let's, let's, if you see any of these things start to creep up, you know, your child needs a voice, whether it's sign language or, or an AAC device or a picture system or all of them. I actually think all, we actually use all of them because to me, any type of device you have or method to communicate is it's like a handrail. Like if you're going down the stairs, sometimes mm -hmm. you can just fly down the stairs, no problem. But sometimes when the words can't come or you don't, you're not able to speak the words, you need that handrail. So that's kind of what I look at AAC about. So I kind of went off on a tangent there. But that's no, great. I love, no, I love that tangent. Great. Let's, let's head that direction a little bit, because I would love for you to talk to parents about um, your experience and your advice for school. So mm -hmm. um, I'll leave the foundation of, I, I have found that within the Down syndrome community, inclusion is the key word and having your child be fully included in a general education setting is what you should do for your kid with Down syndrome. Every, every district is different. Every state is different. This is a very personal decision. I feel as though as a community as a whole, this is the pressure that I think parents feel to, to do this for their child. Um, so what, and I'll just say my personal belief is we should live in an inclusive world where that is the norm in every aspect of society because schools are usually not an inclusive environment then you need to do what's best for your kid that's my personal opinion that i've shared many times but what are your thoughts on inclusion when there is this dual diagnosis what do you bring to the iep team like when you said you had the behaviorist come in and do some evaluations was he in a special a self-contained special ed classroom or was he in a general ed classroom? Where, where are you at with all that? What's your advice? Well, so when Nick was in elementary school, he was in inclusion, full inclusion. And the, the first few years were, you know, he was probably more side by side with his peers. Let's say they were working on a science project about, let's say, geology. And so the modification for Nick was, you know, rocks are going to be lost on him. So <laughs> let's, let's stick with some concrete things. Um, a rock uh, soft and hard so he would work while they were doing that he would work on you know identifying this is something that's hard and this is soft like a cotton ball 
that's a, just a real basic modification. If you've got a good support teacher caseworker that can do those modifications, inclusion will work. Absolutely. And once he started getting a little older, more toward fourth and fifth grade, he was probably less in the classroom because he did have some disruptive, you know, sounds making um, stem, stem, stem sounds, you know. But honestly, the, the, the class, they, I think it was like, kind of like us here. It's like white noise. <laughs> what do you even notice? So I think it was kind of what, what, what's great about conclusion is, or conclusion, inclusion <laughs> is, uh, not concluding yet, uh, it really helped Nick to model his peers. Like the, mm. the, I can remember the girls would be standing on the lunch line instead of him just doing there like, Nick, stand quiet. And, and so his behavior really escalated. Now that's a huge benefit. Um, and I was going to ask you about that because I know that's a big thing with um, inclusion is peer modeling. Yes. And um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that if you saw that for Nick with the dual diagnosis that socialization with his peers was a big was if you saw that it was important and you had success stories in that. Absolutely. I mean, they had uh, one of the things they would do is they had like a lunch bunch. So after lunch, they would do a uh, play games together, you know, just certain uh, students who wanted to volunteer to do that. He was in the gardening club and um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a, a bouquet of roses there for up until, like I said, once puberty kind of hit mm. and he just seemed like he was getting frustrated and um, it just came out in his behavior. So mm. we actually, uh, once we got the behavior stand, and she realized, you know what, you guys aren't using the PECs right. The, you know what, the picture system? Okay. Mm -hmm. So PECs are like, and so we ended up going back to phase one of PECs where it's like, okay, let's here, let's say this is your, here's, here's something you want and here's your picture. So he would try to grab for whatever he wanted. We're like, oh, nope, nope, pull the picture. And they're like, yay. And you, and you, I didn't realize you have to reinforce within five and 10 seconds. So yeah. that's, that's PEX 101. Yeah. <laughs> so once we did that, uh, we realized, he realized, hey, I've got power in this picture. They're listening to me. They're, I've got a voice with these pictures. So fast forward to middle school, we're at a conference and they're like, whoa, Nick's really using his pictures now. I'm like, oh, how so? So they said, well, you know, he's, he's you, know, you know, instead of just always getting Cheez-Its, he's picking the popcorn. So that's, and we're really making a big deal of that. And then he goes, uh, one time he he's, he got uh, did a whole task strip. He put, I'm sad, I need a hug. And then he put the really cutest, youngest teacher's aides picture on there. <laughs> and, then he, and then he faked. I need a hug from her. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some moves. <laughs> so there were, that would, but it gave him a voice. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But, but really back to uh, the inclusion piece, it, it worked all the way up until middle school. And there's a real big difference in middle school and elementary when you walk into a middle school, it's very loud. It's, um, everybody's bigger. I mean, you know, our kids tend to be shorter in stature. And so we, we made a few, as much accommodations as we could, um, let, letting him pass, like instead of when the halls were busy, he would pass five minutes before and whatnot. Um, but eventually it was just too much for him. And, and honestly, the school could not accommodate him. It was such an overcrowded school. They didn't have any room for, you know, like a sensory room where you could take a break. So right. that's kind of where the fork in the road for us, we had to go the other 
direction back into a, a special day class. So that's kind of the journey of his. But I, I will say, it, and once he went back into the special day class, those behaviors started coming back up, the ones where, and so that, that's a trade-off, you know? Yes. And um, I, I, you know, I don't think you should look at it as all or none full inclusion or, you know, here, I think just, as Heather was saying, look for those inclusive opportunities. Yeah. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. when when they get older, especially like in high school and middle school, you've got Special Olympics and they have volunteers that work with them, and um, they have the um, Best Buddies program, right. and uh, all the girls want to make on those. <laughs> so <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> cute. It's a little charmer. Yeah. Especially if he keeps using those pecs that way. I know. Right? I know. <laughs> you kind of feel special if it's your picture. If he's sad, he's a So what have you found, Teresa, has worked best um, to support children with dual diagnosis? Like if our listeners are listening to this and they're like, okay, I need to take the next step. Um, what has been... I guess an overall, I feel like that's a big question, but an overall go-to if you have a dual diagnosis for your child. Uh, Certainly working with an autism uh, behaviorist, yeah, a BCBA, because sometimes you can get into these ABA programs and they'll start out with the BCBA, but then they'll send maybe somebody that doesn't have as much, you know, I don't want to say an intern, but somebody that's not as qualified because it's, it's, it's there's some definitely some challenging behaviors that are unique with the dual diagnosis especially when they hit like i said when they hit that puberty age and uh can i interrupt real quick can you describe the difference between bcba and aba uh oh well no well a bcba just means board certified behavior analyst okay and aba is just applied behavioral analysis so within there's just different levels of you know that would be like the head person the bcba Okay. And then right. sometimes I'll have people that aren't certified that way that will come in and maybe do home therapy or they'll come into the school right. and they just don't have the experience and knowledge to really understand a dual diagnosis. Okay. So for parents who are looking for that behavior support, they need to ask specifically for a BCBA to do any evaluations and planning and support. Yes. Okay. I, I will add to that, that I just, since our last episode, a was on a wait list for an ABA program and has just come on to this like ABA therapy. And so we are just starting out and the BCBA, is that right? Right. Is that the word BCBA? Yes. Um, she has done all the evaluations on teletherapy because we're still in quarantine and has met with us and given us the goals. And as when quarantine is over, they, it's, there will be one therapist that comes in who is not a BCBA certified and will come in part of the time. And then the BCBA will come in with her to observe a few of the hours a week, something like that, or of the month. And I guess, is that, Teresa, is that usually how it works when you're doing ABA like that? But as long as they're coming in to supervise, so they know they've got to kind of handle and then you can, and they can make adjustments you know, depending mm. on whatever your target behaviors are. Okay. Cool. Okay, so that's yeah, support for, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Micah, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, all that stuff gets so confusing. You know, like you, mm-hmm. when you've got all of the, you've already 
immerse yourself in the Down syndrome world. And mm -hmm. then suddenly you have to learn everything about autism and mm -hmm. how these different kind of therapies work. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Okay, so be a behavior, someone who's trained in behavior with autism, what mm -hmm. else are some supports that you think are best supports for people with a dual diagnosis? Certainly speech. Um, addressing what, you know, what's going to be the, the best way. When Nick was, uh, Micah, when Nick was your son's age, he, you know, we tried him on a, a, an augmentative device. He would just like, just hit one button, like, D -d 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 -d, put the needle on the record. And I was like, right, right. it was just stemming <laughs> off. It. So, yeah. so we went old school pecs. And then finally he got mature enough more towards um, closer to high school. And that's when we did a reevaluation for, um, and I, I have a whole couple of blogs that I've written that cover that process and looking at the whole team looks at, you know, every aspect, what, you know, it, let's find what level, how many boxes, if we're going to do a AAC device. And, um, and I will say my biggest advice on using an augmentative alternative communication device, a tech one, Nick uses GoTalk. And the device is only going to be as good as the people who use it or encourage use because sometimes you'll have teachers aid they're like eh, or you have teachers that don't know how to program it or um, you know so you really got to get the speech therapist at school or your private and or your private we actually when we did the meeting we did both both um, private and and a school speech therapist and just really come together and um, make it so it works for them. So as meaning again, that's 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 what we're you know individuals with autism understand so much more with pictures, but also to tag along with that is is visual schedules. Uh, if if I can't I can't tell you how many times I've blogged about this, but if you can see it, you can understand it. So look at a visual schedule, and and basically, it's it's their blueprint. So it's like okay, we're gonna first we're gonna we're gonna get up, we're gonna brush our teeth. We're gonna eat breakfast, bus, school, and then the school have their home their own schedule. And it's nice if they can get a schedule where the um, the student can individually move from here to done, and, yeah. and um, that gives them some power. I mean, anytime you can give them some control, it it helps kind of lessen their anxiety. And I think mm -hmm. that's what any any of the visual schedules, the um, if they're working on a task, having those accommodations for uh, I'm trying to think of, of an example. Let's say they're working on N-I-C-K spelling your name or right. maybe just matching it, you know. And so um, first we're going to do this and then you get, you know, at some point you'll get a reward. So that's all those, all those visuals in, in accommodations in a good behavior support uh, therapist will be able to put those in place to, to really make it successful. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing I would say is, is the, the sensory diet piece and getting the OT on board and, and just making that a whole, a collaborative effort. So you've got speech, you got uh, OT with, you know, addressing the sensory because sometimes those behaviors just get in the way Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, maybe they need some heavy work to calm them. Maybe they need something to boost them. You know, it's just about finding that fine line with, mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, I think we all do sometimes, you know, if you're bored and you're, you know, <laughs> twirling your hair or uh, <laughs> tapping your foot, you know, you, you maybe you need some kind of ramped up, maybe you need a motor brake built into your day. So there's so many accommodations that can help support our kids with a dual diagnosis. Yeah. So yeah, Ex speech. So I said speech, sensory, and then the behavior component. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a tiny bit about OT diet, because I know it doesn't have to do with food. <laughs> right? It's not about it's not about adding or depleting or taking away from a diet. Right. Yeah. So what is an OT or a sensory diet? What's a sensory diet? Well, some kids are, are um over responsive uh to things, some are under responsive and and then some and then sometimes you're both. I mean, depends mm -hmm. on how your day's gone. And so if you can build in some some type of a sensory diet to to kind of level keep them leveled off. It, it can make a difference. So, for example, let think. let's say they're kind of a little lethargic. Well, maybe we um, do something on a trampoline first just to get them pumped up. Pump, pump. Or you get like a, a, a nubby cushion that they can sit on that mm -hmm. kind of keeps them more alert. And then on the other scale, if they're, you know, everything's too much, maybe you need to do some some type of a heavy work where, for instance, when Nick, I think was in middle school and high school, he did jobs like um, he would go and um, push this big cart and go to every classroom and empty out the recycling. So that heavy work helped him organize his brain and calmed mm -hmm. him. It gave him socialization. He was able to be a little, you know, have an exclusive experience. And now I can remember like, hi, Nick. They always look forward to him coming and do that or delivering the mail. So you're getting the little bit break. So those are examples of some, you know, there's so many, but that's kind yeah. of a, yeah. a brief sensory diet type of thing. That's great. I, I have found, and I've shared a little bit about it here, that learning about the sensory diet for ACE has been so helpful for us. And so uh, we've been in the past couple of weeks as we've really gotten into home learning um, in quarantine, I have been so grateful to have the sensory diet piece because I recognize now that if I want him to sit and work on like so happy to learn sheets or read with me or try and do a puzzle at the table, I first need to swing him <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, like we need to swing, we need to do some squeezes, we need to do some jumping and singing. And then once he's gotten that big movement, it's like his body can settle and mm -hmm. sit down and focus. Mm -hmm. But if I haven't given that to him, I, I can't be frustrated when he's like unwilling to sit or it needs to like wander around the room because he's just got all that energy. And I feel like that has helped me so much with my older kids too. And with myself, like we all need to get our, you know, we all need our sensory yeah. needs met. And so if my older kids are frustrating me, then they need to go outside and jump and uh -huh. shoot some hoops uh -huh. or run around the block. And so I, I feel like in so many ways, um, getting, understanding ACE has been helping me understand the world, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is pretty beautiful. It is. I love that. Yeah. Got to get the, got to get those wiggles out. Um, That's right. Yeah. The, the wiggles are real. They're real. <laughs> so I do, we do a lot of um, heavy work with Nick. So I, and it's kind of nice cause I'm, you know, I'm 58, hard to believe, right? But get it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> <You got> it. <laughs> so I, you know, I have him load the, the, 
<laughs> load the washing machine, the dryer. He runs him up the stairs. That's it's awesome. And he vacuums. He lo- I mean, I used to have the vacuum in the work section of his textbook, his schedule book, but now I, I put it in the re- reward because he loves it. I'm like, fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same thing like one of the things um, I can remember back when he was in elementary school at an IEP, his teacher said, you know, Nick is really good at matching. We need to, we need to play up on that. So a lot of his goals are centered around matching type things, you know, mm. ba- basically, you know, like kind of like a bingo thing at first, but then what, where that ended up kind of evolving to is, hey, this guy's, you know, we can, we can take this to a job site. And so once he hit um, high school, he was um, going, working at a food pantry where he would, you know, match, put the cans where, you know, he was mm-hmm. really good at that. I mean, he's, he puts our groceries away perfectly mm-hmm. and, um, well, maybe drops a few times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe. No, we exciting. All. Okay. <laughs> On purpose. <laughs> and um, the, the other one, he, he uh, which was really cool in high school. I'm just kind of giving you a crystal ball. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In high school, we had a... Um, the local university, they did a little program where they um, did video modeling. So we took the idea of the picture schedule and made it in a video form. And so they had him watch a video for, um, I think it was just like loading or unloading the dishwasher. I mean, it's something functional living skills, which are important. And it was like, huh, you know, <laughs> and, and another one was doing the wash. And, and uh, I remember walking in the wash in the laundry room and he was going wash 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 i'm like oh you've been watching that thing it's working (laughs) his job in high school was to wash you know the football jerseys and whatnot and so you know yeah it's not glamorous but it it was meaningful to him he was contributing Mm -hmm. and all his jobs he he also worked at a at a a pet shelter where he separated out the the newspapers the the ads from the regular newspapers because they don't use the ads for the dogs and, you know, again, it's a meaningful activity. He got to get out. He got to socialize. And um, a, a third job he had was at Restore. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have Restore. So like a resale mm-hmm. kind of thing. And he would separate out, you know, separate out, separate out, let's say knobs that, you know, people donated cabinets and he would take the knobs off and, and bag them up. And, you know, so he, and he had a template, one, two, three, four, five, put that in the bag. And uh, so all, you know, his strength and matching in any time, for any of your kids, you know, look for those strengths, lead with the strengths on your IEP and make that be the driving force because that's, that's motivating to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just have to say another big bit of wisdom I could give all you is when you look at your IEP, think about the purpose of the IEP. It's to uh, further educate to promote further education, employment, and independent living skills. So mm-hmm. everything, every goal that you're doing, every that they're doing, that they're proposing, kind of look to see if it's going to the, those big three. Mm-hmm. And then also that it's meaningful. Because mm-hmm. if it's not meaningful, they're probably going to go, I don't care about writing my name. Right. So that goal went out the window. We'll just find something that, that matters more. So Yeah, good. That's great. Um, Teresa, we're, we're so excited for you that your book came out May 5th and um, and it is called a new course. Um, Will you tell us a little bit about what led you to write it and um, you know, what, what the book is about 
um, what your hopes are for it? Sure. Uh, I, I originally started writing it because I felt like I was the only one going through some of the things that were, are unique for having a, a, you know, a more severe special needs, um, for lack of a better word, multi-special needs, I guess that's mm -hmm. what I want to say. And so I just started kind of, it was cathartic at first. I just started telling my stories. I'm like, you know, nobody's telling the story about how hard it is to go through puberty, to, to have some of those, what I call pain points, um, elopement issues, you know, like running and just not having any fear into a street. I mean, that's probably all of ours. It's like, you know, um, there are some sensitive areas that I go to and, and, you know, I'm not sure young moms, this book's going to be, they may want to stop at chapter 10 until they get to puberty, but it's like, I'm going to go there. And I did it's like, you know what, you know, the toileting took forever. And I will say that in my consultation over the years, there's still some that haven't reached that benchmark and it can be done, but it's, that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast <laughs> but we did it <laughs> hey. Hey, yeah. but again i think the main message in 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 everything that i've been through is that you can't do this alone you i mean i thought i could i, I think at some points I, I was just like kind of going through it and then i realized i need help here and then um actually i, I will say we went on a vacation to spain and uh my husband had a ruptured his Achilles, so he was on crutches, and we're all with my family. And then they, the rest of the family, is like, "Whoa, you guys are in way over your head!" And like, I think we were desensitized, honestly. Nick was probably about ten or eleven, right before we got that diagnosis. And and um, they were like, they kind of did an intervention with me. They're like, "You need help. You need to talk to this person. You know, your son's pulling fire alarms. That's a whole other thing." And. <laughs> and this and that and so once I got you know I realized I got the evaluation I'm like I you need help you need help with toileting you need help with this you need help with the behavior you need speech and, and and you know not to bury your head in the sand to get out there and, and you know and it's hard you guys know it's probably hard to reach for out for help you know you think you go oh, I'm a mom I got this it's like maybe you don't so right yeah and it's hard to see what's right in front of your face you know, like to see the forest through the trees. I think that's, I think that's so real for a lot of us. And, and then it's hard to hear hard things from people who love you, you know, yeah. like that, that you're missing something, or maybe you should check something out. Right. That's all really hard stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, I told my in-laws, I said, no, it's the apraxia. It's just sensory integration disorder. Like, well, we think it's more. So, you know, that's, you know, that's when I said, in my heart, I kind of thought it, but I, maybe I, I was buried my head in the sand because I didn't want another diagnosis. Yeah. I think a lot yeah. of parents, don't you think, Micah, probably like that? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's hard. You know, it's hard just to have people tell you. It's, it's hard anytime someone else is telling you what they see that is a challenge for your child. Yeah. You yeah. know, you just, it, it's hard to hear it. Or you want to be like, no, we're working through that. We're getting, we're getting over that, that hump. And yeah, it's hard. Yeah, but you know that that is that secondary diagnosis. It's the golden ticket. You get more services. You know, like mm -hmm. I was telling you, get the you get more behavior help. You get the you address the speech, the sensory, and then the fourth 
thing I would say is that you can get um, state funding and mm -hmm. additional funding for um, extra help for respite care. Yeah. And the respite piece is, is, is a game changer. It's allowed yeah. me to keep teaching my fitness classes, mm -hmm. it's allowed us, you know, to, to do those fun things that we love still, um, right. you know, get out, you know, feed your soul, do, you know, do the things that make you feel like yourself. And, um, yeah, that's, I can't say enough about respite care. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And I, I, we've talked so much, Teresa, about uh, how we want parents who are further along in the journey to talk about puberty and to share about the struggles and to help us prepare ourselves for it. And so we just want to say a big thanks that you are doing that and that it's in the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're excited to, to learn from it and to um, get our get our heads in the right place <laughs> as we go into that. Yeah, you know, the, the behavior piece, because when Nick was five, you know, there was very little there. But again, as he got older, it was like, huh. You know, it, it, just a few weeks ago, I did a consulting call. I think the, the um, her child was probably nine. And she said, he's, he's, you know, taking the desk and he's pushing it really hard in class. I'm like, okay, we need to nip that in the bud mm -hmm. and um, get somebody in there to, to see my, my, my guess from what she told me is that whatever the activity was either was not meaningful to him mm -hmm. or, you know, I, I like to use the acronym. I can never see that word. You're at words you can't say. Oh, totally. Adirondack <laughs> chair. I can't say that either. So anyway. Rural so, uh, is hard for me. Like rural. Is that rural. just doesn't sound right. <laughs> I'm from the South. Rural. Rural. <laughs> okay. So so behavior wise, I'm gonna leave you guys with eats. Okay, so E. So these are the functions of behavior. So E stands for E A T S. E stands for escape. Maybe they want to, there's a reason they need to get out. You know, they don't want to do it. Um, the other day we bought this air fryer, which is really cool, by the way. And um, we turned it on and Nick started throwing stuff. I'm like, I don't think he likes the sound of it. It's just this low thing. And, and sure enough, I go, I'll just turn it off. And then he quit. I'm like, we, we got to take that outside and do the air fryer. So he was just trying to escape because that bothered him. I mean, his, his, his brain is wired to where that was too much of a sensory overload. So that's one, you know, sometimes you'll escape because the environment's too much. I mean, I know like if I go to the mall at Christmas, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Sensory overload, right? So the A stands for attention, attention seeking. And that's usually like when you're on the phone and your kids, you know, like you're not paying attention to me. Right, right. <laughs> or they'll act out in some way that way. Yeah. Nick usually goes and pushes like a the phone intercom button. Um, he likes button pushing. <laughs> but, so the microwave, um, I don't know, the, what's the, 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 the air thing on the microwave? So pretty much all our, our appliances have stop icons on them. <laughs> so My oldest son came over one time. He's like, mom, why are there stop icons on everything all the unlike that be your brother so. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's attention seeking uh the t is is what would be tangible and tangible is pretty much anything you want to feel like you have control over so if you don't have control over something you know either you want something or um you're not listening that the tangible that's it's going to come out in behavior that way and then the s is sensory so 
I always just think, you know, if you're, why are they doing this? Why are they acting that? And if you can figure out what the function is of that behavior, then back it up and try to nip it in the bud before it escalates. Mm-hmm. So before, um, you know, I can tell, like, if Nick starts chewing on his ID bracelet, medical ID bracelet, I know he's, he's, he's getting agitated. So I'm like, okay, what do I need to do in the environment to level that off? Mm. Right. Okay. And then sometimes, he'll, I mean, if he's really mad, he'll pinch his cheeks or he'll hit himself. And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's like watch for those things and put that in the behavior plan. That's kind of the things that we put in place when he hit 11 and he was starting to, you know, those meltdowns yeah. were starting to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, my hope is to help parents just understand that better, you know, look for those triggers in the environment and um, try to cut it off at the past. So, yeah. I love that, Teresa. You've been so helpful. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to have to wrap it up here in a minute, but before we do, can you tell everybody where they can find you? So if you have a social media account or a website and the best place that we can get your book and support you. Shameless plug. Yeah, shameless plug. Get it, girl. All the plugs. Do it. it. No shame. (laughs) (laughs) No shame in my game, right? Okay. So so, uh, let's see. You can find me on Facebook, me and Nick. It's mostly knit, but <laughs> uh, on Facebook and Instagram, we're at Down Syndrome with a slice of autism. Cute. Okay. And then uh, Twitter is, I don't know if anybody does Twitter, uh, TJ Unterstall. <laughs> I'm then, on Twitter. <laughs> okay, good. And then um, my website is just my name, Teresa Unterstall, T E R E S A U N N E R S T A L L at uh, treesonerstall.com so and when you go there you can see you can read about the book you can see um the blog site the blog i've been writing since 2012 it's nickspecialties.com and there is a ton of information and i have it kind of categorized um so you can go oh what did you have to say about speech what did you have to say about Mm. vacations and this and that or and at the end of my book just so you know i do um what i called my version of an appendix so everything that i blogged about like you know ieps tips uh behavior aba vacation travel you know because mm-hmm. we have gone overseas and it can be done mm-hmm. uh, even when they're not toilet trained <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> that's great but that's yeah, awesome. yeah oh, and then ahead. on facebook i do have a book launch page i'd love anybody wants to join it's um yes. i'm going to keep that going it's uh and we'll be doing some Facebook lives and whatnot. So that, that'll be fun. That's a, a new course launch party. So hope to see you guys on social media. Woo-hoo. Awesome. And we can find the book on Amazon. And yes. Great. Okay. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for being here. We yes. we just appreciate your expertise and your willingness to share your story. And, um, and we're really excited to get to know you and Nick more over Instagram and Facebook and all of that in the book. It's so. been my pleasure. I, you know, like I said, I, I'm here for you guys. It's been, you know, I do a lot of consulting and just, and uh, just lifting people up and go, you know, the main thing is just Nick is, you know, he's in an adult day program. Now he's living his best life every morning. He's packing his backpack and sitting by the door. He's like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go mom. So, That's awesome. So he, you know, he, He's, he's very much a social butterfly and he, um, you know, he's got some jobs at this day program. He helps me out around the house. He's, 
He's a barrel of monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) And flirt. (laughs) Well, that's so great. Thanks, Teresa. And and friends, we we're gonna take a break to hear from our sponsor and hear some good news from our family of, of the week. And we hope you guys come right back. Hey friends, Micah here. Now I know you know it is no small feat to pull this podcast off every week. And we are always looking for support from sponsors. And we've gotten to a point where we would love to include you, our listeners, as well. So we're starting something new around here. It's called Patreon. And we have some tiers where you could choose to join us by supporting us financially in whatever way makes the most sense for you. So from $10 to $100 a month, you could be part of the Lucky Few podcast and make it happen every week along with us. We have some fun perks. We have some fun opportunities coming for those of you who decide you want to jump on this boat. And we can't wait to share more with you. If you are interested at all, go to our website, theluckyfewpodcast.com, click on Patreon, and check out how you can support us. Continue to be narrative shifters and shouters of worth in this Down Syndrome space. Thanks, friends. My name is Katie Carper. My Instagram account is at Kate Carper, K-A-T-E-C-A-R-P-E-R. Um, I'm a writer at katiecarper.com, uh, where I write about belonging as it relates to faith and justice, parenthood, Down syndrome. Um, I've been married to my husband, Glendon, for almost 17 years. We have four kiddos, ages three years old to 12 years old. Um, two of our kids came to us through adoption. Um, our five-year-old boy has uh, Down syndrome. His name is Sam, and though we have known for quite some time, we just got the official diagnosis um, of uh, autism spectrum disorder. So, yep, we are a dual diagnosis family. Sam is um, full of mischief and hilarity. He has a deep love for music, swimming, cooking, painting, running, teasing our dog. Um, he is well loved by his siblings. Uh, his his IEP team at school, and um, our amazing church community. Um, some good news about Sam. Um, he has become more verbal um, through this time of quarantine, oddly enough. Um, he was really starting to um, emerge with his language right before um, we were required to be at home. So that was kind of a bummer, but we're seeing some really good things happening in spite of that so we're very very grateful so he's making more word approximations he's becoming a little bit um easier to understand with some of his requests and um he is growing in his awareness of other people's feelings where sometimes we have noticed he was more parallel play um we're starting to see more engagement and eye contact which has been exciting um and again we don't know how long that'll last or um you know 
what that will look like in our future, but we know we have today and we're grateful. So the other thing that has been fun to watch is um, is watching him learn to ask for popcorn uh, without being prompted. <laughs> he loves popcorn and he can now come over and ask for it uh, without our having to tell him how to do that. So that's been fun too. All right, guys, thanks so much for all you do. Um, I appreciate your podcast and just following um, your journeys. Um, and we're just really grateful for the work that you do for so many of um, so many people who have families like ours. So take care. Bye. Right. We love hearing from our family of the week. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Teresa, for being here. Everybody, when when you are finished with this podcast, jump over to Amazon or to Teresa's uh, website and snatch up her book so you can learn. And whether you have a dual diagnosis or not, support the people in your life who do. Uh, as always, friends, we want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail at 424-442-9147 and share about your family and your good news about your loved one with your, your loved one with Down syndrome. And if you have a product or a business that wants to help us shop the worth of people with Down syndrome, we would love to partner with you. You can email hello at theluckyfewpodcast.com for sponsorship opportunities. And we want to give a huge thank you to our editor and producer, Andy Lara, to our co-producer, Val Schleter, to our sponsor, and to all of you who have shared the Lucky Few podcast with friends and who have listened faithfully and cheered us on. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember that you, dear listeners, supporting your loved one with Down syndrome, you are a shadow of worth and a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. We'll see you next week on the Lucky Few Podcast. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Lucky Few Podcast. Remember to review our show on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. You can also support the show now via anchor.fm just by going to the website, scroll down to the bottom, and you can begin your support right now. Lastly, send us your good news by going to theluckyfewpodcast.com and sending us a message via text, voicemail, or email. See you next time.